Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Insurgent Architects House for Creative Writing podcast series. My name is Larissa Lai, and I direct the Tea House Project as part of a Canada Research Chair in Creative Writing, which I hold here at the University of Calgary. I'm Hong Kong Chinese by way of Kumaye, Biotuk, and Coast Salish territories. I currently live on Treaty 7 land, where Tea House also makes its home. Tea House specifically acknowledges the Blackfoot Confederacy, comprising the Siksika, Bigani, and Gaina First Nations, as well as the Sutina First Nation and the Stony Nakoda, comprising the Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley First Nations. We acknowledge also the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Podcasts are produced and edited by graduate students from the English department here at the University of Calgary. You're just about to meet one of them. Hello, and welcome to Tea House Talks, the Insurgent Architects House for Creative Writing podcast series. Today, we're doing something a little different. Over the life of the project, our team has had so many wonderful conversations about writing with so many incredible writers. These have been illuminating, insightful. We're all grateful for having had the opportunity to bring these talks to you. This episode is not going to be an interview. Instead, we're going to showcase the works of three writers as an anthology of sorts. We'll be presenting three readings from our upcoming slate of interviews to enrich those interviews definitely, but also to just let the work stand on its own. Our readers today are Therese Maison-Pierre, Sean King, and Tennille Campbell. Up first, we have Dries Maison-Pierre. Dries is an award-nominated writer and editor. Her work has been published in The Walrus, Fantasy Magazine, Cantheus, and elsewhere online and in print. She's a co-editor of Augur Magazine, and she's the author of the chapbooks Service Area and Manifest. Today, Dries is going to be reading a selection of new poetry. The first poem is called Lesson. My father says the difference is small. Here, there is simply nowhere to stand. Under the midday beating, the sky and ocean compress our bodies into futurity, my small legs swirling to land shelter. The mountains from the coast seem fit to be the dwelling of the gods. My father in the foreground, his naked, pressed, his naked chest prized in strength, holds his arms out like salvation supplication in the motion of the waves. I am to hold my own in this vast connection with my small arms, my pair of small lungs. My father has swum in a home and a grave and survived, and so shall I. His voice carries out and over the shadow he makes in the sea, and I swim toward ancestry, pride, who fought and died here for me. Why do I treat fear as mythic? With each groundless kick, my skin swells. 
as I reach further into cycle and foundation. And the noon heat marries my joy, my wet brown eyes mirroring his breath. Then the bend in his brow, the note on his lips. And when he snatches my life back on the sand, I speculate care into his blood, threaded in dark water, the smooth shells of his fingernails against my sinking ribs, a cry like diluted prayer, the red narrative over faith, over all. Brink. The salt road encroaches on the river, or perhaps the other way around. Short spray stealing sediment each year. Remarking this model mourns me to you. When it is time for your own turning of earth, I should, I should search for you in the blank sky, in the fingerprints on the fabric of my skin and hair. The river is deep and deadly. To swim is to make a statement or rather test a question. Who shall pull me out? Who will call at me to return to pallid land out of watery opportunity? In the blue dark, I hold your hands and don't let go. You have no family here and the work bleaches your bones the moon in your chest squeezing salt water down your untouched flesh. After you tell me, I stare at the sun for several hours, ask a different kind of question. The universe hears and sends rain, sends floods to satisfy me and fails. Bathing. Today, I put my body into a river upset to find I'm only half stone. I tried to live in a swamp once. I love how everything was one color and the color of my skin. Two things out of place, the white sky and all the red birds that saunter airily like tourists. Any vacation I take is the right one. Fresh water seems further from the center. My cellular history sees riches in the sunlight fleeing the surface. My feet slip, and I think of grime and green water. How many voices leave my lips? How many times I copy civil dusk for a community of hands and hips? Distance sings a salve for the right skin, and I want to turn my face to the dirt that sloshed through time. It is beyond me, and any sweet foreign smell that shrinks, threatens, and exalts my brother's hair, redolent fish, a black varnish overall. In stock images of the future, everything is white. I don't want flying cars, I want my language back. I want to glass bottom boat my way to a dirt road with no street signs, squeeze myself on the grave of my restlessness, my atomic self-esteem. 500 years and we have finished. What have burned sugar and dyed cotton blighted? I stain my skin with sunlight, try on those new underwater lungs, which is to say, I search for new meaning in old salt. 
Sand dollars are dead, I discover. I trade them for a tour ride around the mountain. The cyborg guide has a tinny Guyanese accent, points to a crashed, cracked ship, which several locals have adorned with bougainvillea, flags, and wooden beads. The guide says, remember when the sky became red? Look how the giant stars came to us. Someone beside me regrows their limb. I try, but I'm stopping myself. I want to go backward in time immediately. There's another word for lost, but I can't remember. Harmonious light. One. Where is the living moment saturated in color? At the end of revolution and arms, we expect color to spring from the sidewalks, a whole new colored era. When the imagination fails, it removes color from each essential issue, colonial animals coloring need with greed, unity with division, robbing color to dilute to sameness under one flag's colors. Now we witness the earth exhale an eager truth Give it color where there is none. Share a fresh capital, greener in color than money. Trees and flowers instead, their color adorning hearts without property or struggle. The color of the soil darkens in this confident sun and, and only utopia colors our thoughts, a gift longed for and received. What is the color of progress and how should we paint these walls? colored sand for now, but later something to match the ocean's color. Two, in our eco-friendly home, you tell me you like the color of my skin when I blush. We eat a meal of deep colored vegetables, aubergine, spiced quinoa, spinach, beets that color our teeth with health and small adventure. We find a new color together in the shower drain, Smiles split by the evening's colored light. You say, remember when corporations trademarked colors? And we laugh because we don't remember. We don't color the long moment with such history anyway. Instead, we paint colored stories that weave wonder with courage, add hope and bright colors to my body making a new life, matching the world's future in color. I shine. The night holds sound, plays heat like a theremin, air over our porch. It's the first time I noticed cats weren't the only animals whose eyes glowed amid the dusky foliage. Cows too, dogs, mongooses, frogs. They have come out, ro rolling slowly away from the lights over the garage. But my brother and I can still see them, bloated bodies sucking up the night air to join crickets in a routine symphony. I catch one on the railing, no bigger than the first part of my thumb, huge eyes, green-brown all over. I am intrigued and repulsed in equal measure. In the light off its body, I see everything that has come into my space when I wished it not to. When we have finished, it leaps away, and I see it's Perhaps I'm wrong. Eyes, red-orange from the grass. My mother has a mop, 
pushes them off the driveway to avoid my father's car later. I want them away. I am young. I am thrilled by the possibility of a living projectile. I grab a broom and cast one over the side wall, but it disappears into the hot sky. The air doesn't sound any different. And my final poem, Sundown. Where are we hiding tonight? It's a game. You pretend we are meeting for the first time. I pretend I love you. How does the moon pull the water? A safe question, one that doesn't live in the bowels of the forsaken and the laws we inherit that make our existence, our union, a threat to order and the white godly. No one is hunting us. I open my hand, skin smooth like palm leaves. You attempt to slide optimism into me. A small town across the bay has stopped like the seconds before a pivot. And still my tongue can't convince me that anything here is worth returning to. It's the want in your eyes that tips the sand, the stretching desire that drowns us over and over again. Thank you so much. Xiang King was born in Vancouver and grew up in Hong Kong. Xiang King's debut novel, You Are Eating an Orange, You Are Naked, is a finalist for the 2021 Amazon Canada First Novel Award, long listed for CBC's Canada Reads 2021, and named one of the best book debuts of 2020 by the Globe and Mail. His writing has also appeared in Prism International, The Puritan, The Shanghai Literary Review, amongst others. Chung King taught creative writing at the University of Guelph and is now the creative writing coach at Avenues, the world school Shenzhen. Chung King is going to be reading In July We Are All Children, which was published in 2021 in Philly Station Magazine. In July We Are All Children, Hotel 2.0. Glue and the durian next to the bed are the only things that do not belong to this hotel room. Glue stares at the durian. It seems further away than it actually is. It is 8.30 a.m. Glue is not hungover, quite the opposite. Everything, not only the durian, seems further away and clearer. Glue's feet touch the floor. Though Glue is performing the familiar motions of standing up, his movements feel far away, as if his mind, or rather his consciousness, no longer interested in his bodily existence, is slowly retreating, becoming a mere observer of the skinny Chinese body of his. Glue opens the blinds, a plane takes off, secrets no one remembers ever existed. They disappear silently into the polluted sky. He places the tip of his index finger on one of the durian spikes. He presses into it, he bleeds. This is how it feels to be effectively turned off. Pagoda. Elle doesn't text Glue until the night before her flight back to Singapore. It is almost midnight, half an hour before July ends. They go to a 7-Eleven to pick up six San Miguel tall cans and a pack of Marlboro lentil lights before heading to a pagoda in a park nearby. You're not that skinny anymore, Glue, Elle says, before. And you make me feel empty sometimes. Elle is yelling. Elle is telling Glue why she's leaving him, moving back to Singapore. This is almost two years ago, back in Toronto. Gwen, who's Glue's sister, was doing an internship in Dubai for a semester and Elle for a time decided to move in with Glue. You're like a bag of air, but that's not the problem. 
I have some, I have nothing against emptiness. The problem is that you feel entitled to just be like that. She pauses for a bit. Men are like permanently closed circuits, she says. To yourself, you're perfectly comfortable, so you don't bother changing. She looks down at her feet. I'm not disappointed. You're just another man. She doesn't look at Clue when she says this. Clue doesn't say a word back to Elle. He locks himself in the bedroom. When he finally comes out, needing to take a leak, all her things are gone. From that day onward, a hint of loneliness fills the air whenever Clue hears the sound of his piss meeting the water in the toilet bowl. Pagoda 2.0. The cookie L gives Glue tastes quite good for an edible. Are you high? Glue asks. I will be soon. L finishes the rest of the cookie. Happiness is a cookie that your brain bakes itself, she announces. A cognitive scientist said that happiness, like a cookie, is a mere tool. When you are young, you always want to eat cookies. But once you get older, you realize that eating cookies is just an instrument to make you go back to eating vegetables. Eventually, you stop eating sweets altogether because you don't want diabetes. Happiness is a cookie the brain bakes itself. Are you happy right now? Glue can't help but ask. Elle laughs, takes her phone to show Glue a gray cat with brown eyes. Her name is Soup. They never got a cat, though Glue knew that Elle always wanted one. Glue was afraid of the responsibility, so he told her he was allergic, which is not a complete lie. She has beautiful eyes, Clue says, staring at an image of Can I ask you a question? Elle's tone is slightly more serious. If I asked you to come with me tomorrow to Singapore, would you? Before, before. For dessert, Elle orders vermicelli curd with coconut milk. They're having dinner at a small Italian restaurant on a pier in Tongchong. This is four years ago, Elle's first time visiting Hong Kong. The restaurant is not equipped with an air conditioner, only blue ceiling fans. There aren't any lights either. The dining room is lit completely by the small electric candles on each table that are probably from Ikea. Lou has the night, same candle at home. Occasionally, fishermen arrive at the pier. They watch from the window as the fishermen dock, the waves nudging their little blue boats again, gently against the shoreline rocks. Let's play a game, Elle suggests. It's called inconsistent lists. So let's say if the topic is film, then we have to make a list of favorite films that are entirely unrelated. Imagine that someone with no personality whatsoever is creating this list. Inconsistent list of top five films. Sex and the City 2, 2021. Human Flow, 2017. The Birth of a Nation, 1915. No, Elle says, Birth of a Nation is too much of the opposite of human flow. It's too binary, not random at all. It needs to be more complex. What about Human Centipede? Human Centipede, 2009. Ponyo, 2008. <laughs> Let's try musicians. LL Cool J, Yo-Yo Ma, Nina Finn, <laughs> Biscuit, G-Dragon. A little tipsy from the bottle of Pierre Noir they finished. They continue making inconsistent lists as they walk back to clues. Inconsistent list of top five actors. Ronald Reagan. Tony McGuire, <laughs> Lupita Nyong'o, Bruce Lee, Courtney Kardashian. <laughs> Consistent list of top five fashion brands. Fila, Kirkland Signature by Costco, Dior, Hollister, NASA by NASA Depot, apparel for space lovers. Hotel 3.0. 
Google would much rather be a machine than an immigration consultant. If someone were ever to offer to upload Google's consciousness to a machine, Google would choose to be a Roomba. His purpose will be clear, to clean. Water from the shower lands on Blue's back, the back of Blue's neck, and runs down his spine. Blue comes for, to a realization based on a feeling. His identity is not fixed. He might have known this all along, but now he is more aware of the fact that his memories, on which his identity is based, are something intangible. His identity feels stable only because of the illusion of continuity. The tool he realizes that binds the glue from this hotel room and the glue from the day he wrote the list is the thought slash illusion slash belief that the present glue has memories of the glue who wrote the list. NL, of course. The sense of continuity between events is much like happiness, a cookie, nothing more than a tool that allows Glue to convince himself that he is himself. Glue is a machine that thinks that he is Glue, nothing more. When Glue's body stops functioning, someone can upload his memories, data, to a machine, a Roomba, that thinks that that is Glue, continuity. Continuous existence is an illusion in the first place. At the core, we are all completely empty. Pagoda 3.0. Do you like Hong Kong? L asks. You've been back for a while now, no? I don't know. This is Glue's honest answer. Not too long after the breakup, Glue dropped out of his master's program and returned to Hong Kong. He didn't miss Toronto's cold, scentless winters. Let me think about this then. Let me ask you this then. L takes a swing of beer. There are only two cans left. Are you afraid of death? Glue is, of course, afraid of death. And why is that? I don't know what happens after. Why do you care about what happens after? You'll be dead. And regardless of what happens, you can't change it. Let me ask you another question. What is your identity? My identity? Glue pauses for a bit. I'm 27. I work as a translator sometimes. I'm also an immigration consultant. Glue takes a drag of the sig. Is there more? Well, I'm Chinese. A male. I live alone in a private apartment complex near the airport. I have a mortgage, which my parents helped me take out. I used to live with my sister, but she moved out around this time last year. And every once, every few months, I visit my parents, who now live in Macau. I had a casual thing going on with someone for a few months, but I haven't heard from her for a while. I also haven't talked to a childhood best friend of mine for a while. Last year, around this time, I was arrested. You probably heard. Okay, stop. So you're telling me that when you die, you lose your identity as a Chinese male in Hong Kong who's an immigrant shared consultant. Am I right? Who nods? No offense, but who cares about that? A Chinese male? So there are what, like at least 3 million of you in Hong Kong alone? She quickly asked Siri to confirm this. There are 3.4 million. If you were, let's say, the Panchen Lama, then that would be a factor that actually matters. Why specifically the Panchen Lama? He identifies as a form of government, not just a person, El says. His identity continues, regardless of what body it is in. Identifying characteristics such as gender are supposedly irrelevant. You identifying as a Chinese man means nothing to anyone. Your identity doesn't need to live on. There's no reason for it to. We maintain an identity to achieve meaning, to do the things we're supposed to do before we die. And what we've, we're supposed to do, our meaning, something programmed inside us, exists inside us as something we feel we need to do. We want to accomplish those things regardless if we can pin down what exactly those things are. If you fear death, what you're actually afraid of is not accomplishing the same some of those things. So do you feel like you can accomplish what you feel like you need to accomplish by staying in Hong Kong? If not, what reason is there for you to co not come with me? Glue doesn't say anything. Elle puts a cigarette between her lips. 
my flight is at noon. I can't get you a ticket. I can get you a ticket. We're 10 minutes away from the airport. There's a shuttle that takes us to the terminal at 10 a.m. If you're coming, meet me in the lobby at 9.45. Elle stands up. She stretches her back, arching backwards. Ah, it feels so nice when it rains here. It's always too hot. She starts skipping around the small puddles in the pagoda, cigarette in hand. I love puddles. Puddles are great. Yeah, Boo says, remembering that Elle loves puddles and thick socks and that she prefers wearing socks at home over slippers. I'll tell you a secret. Glue leaps on the bench, standing over Glue's head, looking down. I, I learned to turn myself off. She takes a drag of her cigarette. There's a way you can meditate to a point where you, where you still have self-awareness, as in you will still know everything you know and know that you are you, but you will not identify with change of any kind, Elle says. You can effectively be turned off. Monks spend months trying to accomplish this. I have an easier way to do it. It's not quite the same, but it works. You want to try? How does it work? Gu asks. Minds are software states. Software doesn't need identity. Software, in a sense, is nothing more than a set of principles capable of maintaining identity. And maintenance of identity is not terminal, but instrumental to something else. Your identity, you identify as whatever you identify as right now, is nothing more than you trying to use this identity as a starting point to accomplish your goals. In this sense, this in a sense is where the meaning of life comes from. I can, so to speak, reprogram that. Your meaning, whatever it might be at this moment, cannot be deleted, but can be delinked from your current identity. You can lose the desire to change yourself in order to accomplish your goal. You and your current identity will be completely intact and you will become indifferent to change of any kind. Isn't that quite beautiful? Perfect even? Won't someone like you, a Chinese male in Hong Kong, want the ability to be completely indifferent to change? Camille Campbell is a Denis Métis author and photographer from English River First Nation in Treaty 10 in Northern Saskatchewan. She completed her MFA in creative writing from UBC and is enrolled in her PhD at the University of Saskatchewan. Her inaugural poetry book, Hashtag Indian Love Poems, is an award-winning collection of poetry that focuses on Indigenous erotica, using humor and storytelling to reclaim and explore ideas of Indigenous sexuality. Tanielle is going to be reading a selection of poetry. Okay. What? Oh. All right. Um, these actually don't have any titles. My publisher hates me. Uh, the first line is just part of the poem. I know. Page 14. You look like trouble and you know it. Tall and lean, head cocked just so. I can taste you already. Northern accent dripping from tongue and lips. You look like morning regrets, the shuffling of clothes, the lost bra, the headache, trying to remember where I am and what your name is. You look like someone who will text that I'm beautiful, captivating like northern lights, sparkling like a blanket of stars, like someone who has those words on copy and paste. I miss him. <laughs> I'm kidding, kidding. <laughs> Um, this one, page 19. 
Between thick pale thighs, you called me a feast, making me gush with words and a tongue licking clit, sucking marrow from bone. You were thirsty and my desire quenched you. <laughs> I'm just like encouraging myself. Right here. <laughs> oh, let me see. Oh, <laughs> page 25. I don't want this. Crushed feeling, barely breathing, cheeks burning, smile can't stop torture. This is torture. How will you know unless you try? Spare me the cliche. He doesn't call, doesn't text, he doesn't snap, doesn't DM, he doesn't creep. This is a one-sided story where my name doesn't cross his mind and I can't stop thinking about his smile. Phone in hand, don't text, don't text. I text. <laughs> uh, never. Seen uh, more than mice. Page forty two. <clears throat> I want to be tangled in moonlight, wrapped up in northern lights, guided home by the North Star, trailing down Churchill River, hand in hand with you. I want to be tracing your stories, constellations of ink and scars, hearing your memories echo in the dark between dusk and dawn. I want to be your roots ensnared in sandy soil lush with moss, beside hidden waterfalls, soft rocks smoothed over by running water. I want to be part of your joy, the smile on your face when you hear my name, the blush in your cheeks when you think of last night. I want to be your home, your land, your memories. Ooh. Indigenous Academia, page 59. Indigenous Academia makes me ache. Talk with me. I want to hear vowels dripping from your tongue, mixing the words from your nation. It doesn't matter. I don't yet understand. I will learn. We're coming in waves, passing stories, where we've been and where we're going. A hidden library nook, a quiet reading room, a safe place to let go, surrounded with people who laugh like you, old travel knowledge for new ways. We're reclaiming space, singing songs from the land, low notes echoing down hallways, hand drum on your lap, long lean fingers tapping the beat you constantly hear, making me dream beyond ivory towers. We're taking it making it visibly, undeniably, irrevocably Indigenous. Page 61. <clears throat> I make love under Indian acts, my womb a political battleground. Don't come in me. I don't need the reminder dripping that we are not compatible. You fit so nicely between thick fry bread thighs, dimpled and soft, 
ready to be devoured, your hands tease dark nipples to a cranberry flush. Arching towards the air, you center yourself on my womanhood and wait for my natural depth to welcome you in. Never mind that you were never supposed to be here in the first place. Oh, page 87. I'm tired of thin pointy lips, lips that cut and hiss their right for Chief Wahoo and Redskins, lips that say they don't see race, everyone is equal, and won't I be their naughty squaw. I want thick lips that taste of dry meat and glisten with butter, lips that kiss under pine trees and tell me they love me in accents from the land. I want Dene lips, Cree lips, Métis lips, Mohawk lips, and Anishinaabe lips. I want Mi'kmaq lips and Stalo lips. I want lips that are thick with stories and sweetness. Thick lips, moose lips. I want blueberry cloud lips. And the last one I will do is the aunties poem. We need more aunties in our life. 107. We aren't all nice aunties, open arms and kind smiles. We don't all bake bannock, keep secret stores of dry meat and fresh blueberries. Some of us are called mean, our tongues spare no one's, fools tremble before us. Some of us are called city, we live under skyscrapers, walk in ivory towers with ivory people. Some of us are too much, too loud, too real. It's hard to take our love. But an auntie is an auntie, and the mean ones tell truth you don't want to hear, and the nice ones hold you when you break, and the quiet ones keep secrets whispered in the dark, and the loud ones match your wild stories, and the elderly ones watch us all, remembering the aunties who came before. Thank you to all of the writers who read for us. We hope you enjoyed the short creative writing anthology and you can look forward to hearing from Therese, Sean King, and Tennille in upcoming interviews. I'm Ryan Stern and you're listening to Tea House Talks. Tea House recognizes the generous support of the Candor Research Shares Program and the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council. We also appreciate the support of the Faculty of Arts and the Department of English at the University of Calgary, where our offices are housed as well as the guidance of Mark Stuckel at the Taylor Family Digital Library. Tea House is run by Larissa Lai, Rebecca Jolene, Micah Jacobson, Mahmoud Ababne, Paul Minier, Joshua Whitehead, Mark Lynch, Shazia Hafiz Ramji, Shuyin Yu, and me, Ryan Stern. Our music is Monarch of the Streets by Loyalty Freak Music. Stay tuned for the next episode of Tea House Talks. For more on the work of Tea House, including symposia, panels, and readings, please check out our website at www.tiahouse.ca. If you'd like to be in touch, send us an email at tiahouseyyc 
at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.